0: My name's Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. Oh, happy new year. I forgot. My bad. Um, I want to start with a little game. Does that sound fun? (laughs) Yeah, no. Um, Crowd participation is very needed for this. And we're going to try this. I'm going to say a word and then you're going to respond all together at once with the answer to which thing that word is. You have two options. You can say secular meaning of the world, right? It's not, it's not this holy thing. It's, it's a worldly thing. Or you can say sacred, okay? Which would be like set apart, holy, churchy, if you might want to go that route, right? Okay, so let's try this. Um, church. Bingo, very nice. <laughs> uh, McDonald's. Secular, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Christian
1: rock. Yeah, all right. Playing
0: basketball? All right, Indiana. Uh, (laughs) Rap music? I heard a little bit of both. Uh,
1: Communion? All right. Yeah,
0: those are the answers you're supposed to give. Very good. You all did very good. Um, Because that's what we've been conditioned to say. And it's not wrong, but it's just weird because it's kind of more complex than that. Because when I read my Bible, uh, it's a little more blurred than what we just made it and the way we generally tend to think about things, right? Uh, I'll start with the big one. I think about God. God, the ultimate being, the perfect being, the most holy being, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the great I am becomes a pooping, puking, stinking, crying baby. Becomes a human being. A very unholy thing. Not, it's not this sacred set apart thing. It's, we see those every day. That's normal. There's nothing sacred about that. why do he become that? That's weird. What about Jesus? Jesus starts his ministry and Jesus goes out and what is the first miracle he does? He's at a wedding and they run out of wine, okay? In a Jewish wedding, you do not run out of wine. That is a no-no. They are partying for days. They are eating constantly. They are toasting constantly. They're dancing. They're celebrating life. They're there for this happy couple, and they're just loving on them, and they're drinking, and they run out of wine, and so what does Jesus do? Jesus says, hey, I need you to go and get me those basins full of water. But the problem is it wasn't just regular water. It was ceremonial, hand-washing water. Water set apart for a sacred task. And Jesus does what? He turns it into wine to keep the party rolling. Right? That's crazy. That breaks all the molds of how we think about sacred and secular. What about God? God. The Spirit of God lives in the tabernacle. That's how he has to dwell among the people. So he says here, I need you to build me a very specific tent with very specific dimensions in a very specific way from very specific materials, and it has to look this way, and it has to act this way, and this is how you set it up. This is how you tear it down. Don't touch the Ark of the Covenant. That's where I'm at. Don't come in the room where I'm at. You'll die. it has got all these rules. Finally, Solomon's like, no, you need a house. You need You need a temple, right? And so Solomon builds him this big stone temple, right? And and it's this beautiful building, and it's like it models Eden in so many ways. And and nobody can go in there except for the high priest into the the Holy of Holies, you know, at certain times. And and it's all very so-so. And God leaves all that after Jesus dies and is resurrected, and then he ascends to be with the Father. And he says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you. And where does the Holy Spirit, where does the Spirit of God make his home? You. You're the house of God. We all the time say things like, it's a good day in the house of the Lord, isn't it? But that's kind of dumb because this is just a building. This is not the house of the Lord. You are the house of the Lord. And because you are here, gathered here, this becomes the house of the Lord, right? Wherever you go, That's the house of the Lord, because you're the house of the Lord, not some building made with hands. You. What about the priesthood? Jesus, right? We, well, we'll start, we'll start back before Jesus. We got the priesthood. We've got a bunch of guys dressed in a funny way, very particular, once again, right? And they are this select number of guys that are in charge of making the sacrifices for all of Israel. They've got to make sure it's all done the right way done at the right times, blood sprinkled in the right places. Only some of them can go into the temple. Only some of the smaller group can even go into the Holy of Holies, right? It's all very particular. It's all very religious. It's all these rituals and whatnot. And then what happens? Jesus says, no, 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 no. I don't want that anymore. I don't want it to be this small group of people that have to dress a certain way and act a certain way. I am going to make you all priests royal priest before God, every single one of you, every believer, a royal priest before God. That's what the Bible says. Jesus just keeps blurring the lines. Jesus just keeps taking what we would think of as sacred and just like demolishing all all our ideals of what that's got to look like and turning it into the secular to the point that we realize that what Jesus has wanted all along is that there isn't a sacred and a secular, but that everything is sacred and secular all the time. That no matter what you're doing, no matter what mundane task of your life or whoever you are, that everything in you is for God all the time, no matter what or where or how or when or whatever. You see? Just keeps breaking it down. There's a, there's a, passage I want to think about right now. It's Acts 2, 42 through 47, and I can't read it on the particular. (laughs) My bad. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had, They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The people it's talking about there are all the new converts to Christianity after the apostles go out and start preaching, right? That's all the people of God. That's, that's just everybody. It's not just some. It's, it's all of them, right? And the Lord added to their number daily.
1: Daily. Here's what I want you to do right now. Look around this room. Seriously. Look around. Take it in. Got it? This is a rough estimate of New Hope Church. now. This is it. This is all of it. Give or take a few. Numbers are down. We are not a church of four, five, six hundred people. We can say that all day. We're not. We're a church of 200, maybe 250 people. Maybe. That's the reality. That should bother you. That should bother you. But here's the deal. You may be sitting here going, What have we done? What have we done? Why? Why? Why us? But here's the deal. I've said this before it's not just us, it's everywhere. Christianity is hemorrhaging in the Western culture,
0: it's messed up, it's not good. A lot of it came through COVID because we realized that we were sick and that there were problems that have been around for a long time, but we're just now really seeing it. We're just now really seeing the reality of it.
1: Here's the deal. The Lord is not adding to our numbers daily. That's real. So why?
0: Why isn't the Lord adding to our numbers daily? Why? Why Why wouldn't he do that? He added to their numbers daily. Well, wait. Acts 2. He added to their numbers daily. Why did he add to their numbers daily?
1: I think it's because of everything he says before he added to our
0: numbers daily. They met together. Every day, the believers are getting together every day. Maybe not at the church, but they are meeting together daily. Brothers and sisters, sharpening each other, coming together, eating in each other's homes. They're praying constantly. They're looking at all that stuff they've got, and they're going, the Lord provides for me. I don't need all this extra stuff. I'm going to start selling what I don't need, and I'm going to give it to the people that need it. They eat together. They commune together. They're learning. They're listening to the teachings of the apostles. They're pastors, right? They're they're learning from them. They're growing in their faith. And God honored it. And he said, I'm going to bless this, and it's going to grow. And so when I look at us and I go, why aren't we growing? I think the only logical conclusion is we don't look like that church, no matter how much we want to tell ourselves we do. And here's the deal. I'm not picking on New Hope. I'm picking on America. I'm picking on Europe. I'm picking on what we've turned this thing into because we've lost sight of how real and necessary this is. You don't have to do all this to be saved, but you sure have to do all this to grow the church of God. So we all got to get real with ourselves and say, how do I fit into this equation? Here's a stat that I hope scares the pants off of you. There was a. there was a study done on roughly 1,000 American Christians, okay? And in that study, 52% of them said that they believed that it was wrong and offensive to tell somebody that they should change their religion to Christianity. Wrap your head around that. That it's offensive to tell somebody that they're dead in their sin and they're going to die in that sin unless they accept the Lord Jesus, the author of life. Unless they accept him as their Lord, they will die in their sins. That is wrong and offensive. 52% of Christians in America. 66% of Christians said they don't know how to share the gospel. Here's what I get out of that. Over half of the Christians in America don't actually believe in Christianity because they have said the one major thing Jesus says, the, the, the great command or not the great commandment, the great commission to go and make disciples, to go teach them to obey me, they believe that's wrong and offensive and wicked and you shouldn't do it. This tells me that three or two-thirds of the confessing Christians in America don't even understand why they're Christians because spreading the gospel is simply looking at someone else and saying, Here's where I was. Here's what Jesus did for me. And here's what he did for you. And this is why you should believe this. This is who he is. And this is what he's done. That's it. That's it. Two-thirds of Christians in America don't even know how to say that.
1: Do we really wonder why the Christian church in America is just floundering? Do we, like, what do you do with that? Here's another part of it. Here are things that I hear a lot. I hear things like, will you pray for me or my family
0: or my friends or this or that? And that's good. I love that. Don't, don't think that's bad. I hate the follow-up when I go, oh, absolutely, sure. Have you been like praying for them too? And do you pray for your family? And do you pray for your friends? Do you pray every day? Ah, yeah, I just do not pray like I should. Or I hear things like, uh, you know, I just love your sermon today. I just hope that we just get more people in here that hear that,
1: and then they totally get it.
0: Or I hear like, you know, I liked your sermon this week. If, if my brother or my sister, if they would just hear that, or my, my son or my daughter or my mom or my dad, if they just hear that, then, man, they, that'd fix them. And then you say Okay, that's awesome. I agree. Like you should totally send it to him. I, I hope that it does help him. How have you been sharing the gospel with them? And oh, I just I don't think I could do that. I wouldn't know what to say. You know, what if they what if they ask me questions and I don't know the answer?
1: I'm picking on a whole bunch of people right now, and I love you all. But here's why that's a problem is because we've put
0: pastors on pedestals. Yeah? we we look to pastors like they're supposed to be steering the ship. They're supposed to be making the big bounds. They're supposed to be making it happen. They're supposed to be spreading the gospel. We put it all back on the pastors. And here's the deal. I've been looking through the Bible and I've been racking my brain over this sermon and I didn't sleep last night and it's awesome. And like I've been trying to find all the things that pastors in the Bible do Like the thing that really sets the pastor apart from the, the lay people, from, from the congregation. And, and I think the person who summed it up best is my favorite snarky, drunken monk, and his name is Martin Luther. And he said this. He said, it is pure invention that popes, bishops, priests, and monks are called uh, the spiritual estate. And then princes and lords and artisans and farmers are called the temporal or the secular estate. He says, on the contrary, all Christians are truly of the spiritual estate. And there is among them no difference at all, but that of office. Of office. In layman's terms, the difference between you and me is I get paid to be a preacher and you go to church because you believe it and I go to church because I believe it, the only difference is I and every pastor here have three things, three things I found that set us apart. That, that office, what is that office? We're shepherds. We've been given a flock, and we have to look after that flock, and you're the flock. And we've got to make sure you're being steered in the right direction, and we've got to check in with you and say, like, how are, how are you? Are you studying? Are you learning? Are you learning? Are you you still seeking the Lord? We're we're supposed to make sure you go in the right direction. The second one is we're equippers. We equip. What do I mean by that? We teach. We teach you about the Bible. We teach you how to disciple. We teach you how to go out and share the good news of Jesus. We teach you how to pour into the lives of the people around you. We teach you biblical principles. And the third one is we facilitate. What do we facilitate? Opportunities of worship and service. What I mean by that, we try to make sure that you've got plenty of ways that you can be plugged in and helping the people around you and helping your community. We try to make sure that you've got opportunities where you can just tone out the world, like we just did it with, with our music, or like we're doing right now with our teaching, to where you can think about the things of God and what matters, and realize that that's at the forefront of what needs to be in our lives. Right? We we facilitate those opportunities. We're shepherds. We're equippers. We're facilitators. Now here's the deal: we make disciples. We do that. We we worship. We we serve. We we try to do all those things too. But here's the thing. Nobody gets paid here to worship, to serve, to go out and spread the gospel, to love other people. That's just a Christian thing. That's not a pastor thing. That's an everybody thing. But we've gotten it all twisted up. And the thing is, if we did all those things, If we looked like those people in Acts 2, our church would be growing. And not just our church, but every church would be growing if the people in every church
1: actually did all those things.
0: I look to Acts 6, 1 through 4. It says this. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. What do I get out of that? The apostles knew their role. The apostles said, this is what we're doing. This is what we've got to do. This is what we've got to spend our time doing. There are plenty of people in this church that can handle the other stuff and we've got to start divvying it up so we get the right people behind the right jobs. We've got to start putting the right people in the right places. It goes on and it says this in Acts 6, 5 through 7. Everyone liked this idea and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Permenus, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them, so God's message continued to spread. Who do they pick? Just some guys. Just some good guys that they know love Jesus, that's it. They're not pastors. They're not priests. They're, they're not apostles. They're not pastors. They're just some guys within the church, right? And so they go on. And the church thrives. The church thrives. If we look at, uh, is it uh, five through, or sorry, eight through 10, it goes on to say this. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves as it was called started to debate with him right they were Jews from Cyrene Alexandria Cilicia and the province of Asia none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which stephen spoke huh see Up until that paragraph, I could understand how you'd be like, well, yeah, but like the apostles, they had their own thing. Like in Acts 2, they were the ones doing all the teaching and the performing of the signs and the miracles. So clearly, like, that's their role. But here's the thing that I find odd. Stephen's given his job. What's Stephen's job? Go make sure that these people are fed. But then what does Stephen do on top of that? He goes out and he starts teaching. He goes out, and he starts preaching the word of God, and he's preaching the word of God so rapidly and in such a way that it's bringing people into the church. People are converting to Christianity in droves over Stephen and these other men, okay? And it starts making the Jewish leaders mad, and so they start coming up against him, and they're trying to tell him where he's wrong on Scripture. They're trying to find what they can trip him up with, and they can't. They can't because the word of God is in this man's heart because he has decided I'm going to go out and I'm going to start making people understand about this Jesus that gave me life. This nobody, this Stephen. Who is Stephen? Stephen's your mailman. Stephen's your lawyer. Stephen's your barber, your doctor. He's just some guy. He's not an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's just some dude. But why can he go out and perform miracles and signs and wonders and teach to the degree that the Jewish leaders can't even keep up with him? Because Stephen learned his identity, and he knew his identity. And do you know what that was? That Stephen is a royal priest before God.
1: We've spent a whole lot of years,
0: a whole lot of years, which is really funny because, like, I thought that we'd been spending like the last so many hundred years trying to like detach from the Catholic Church, but then we just keep putting priests up. We just keep putting the pastor up on the pedestal. But the Bible is clear. It's not about pastors, it's about priests, and you're a priest. And so here's the
1: deal, y'all. Our church is hurting. Not bad. Not bad, it's fine. It's fine. That's the problem, it's fine. Slowly, just kind of dwindling. We'll be fine for decades. But eventually we won't, not at this rate.
0: And I can say the same thing for most of the major churches in this area. I can say the same thing for most of the major churches in America. Not all of them, some are doing great.
1: But the issue is it takes people like
0: you, And you, and you, and you, to realize this is my job. It takes you going, you know, I've been doing a good job, or maybe I've done nothing. You probably fall into one of those camps or somewhere in between, right? But regardless of where you fall on that scale, your resolve has to be, but today I'm going to be better. Because the church depends on it. Now, here's the deal. When I say the church depends on it, I've read the story. I've seen the ending. We win, okay? We do. It's going to be all right. The church prevails. The gates of hell can't over, they can't withstand the forces of God's kingdom. God prevails over the gates of hell, right? But is New Hope part of that?
1: That's your choice.
0: And I, for one, do not want to stand before God and hear him say, why didn't you do more? Why didn't you just love people? Why didn't you just love me? Why didn't you read my word? I gave it to you. My son died for it. He died for you. Why didn't you invest in this? Why did you let yourself get swept up by the world and all the crap that doesn't matter? Why? I don't want that. And I don't want that for you. And I don't want that for anybody. And that's why everyone in every church across this country is going to have to take a good sobering look around and go, we've messed up. And now it's time to get things back in here.
1: This is a new year. And this is the
0: suckiest message ever for the first day of the year. But you've got to hear it. Because we got to do something, y'all. world's falling apart around us, and we are, like Jason said at Christmas, we are salt, we are light, we are preservatives, and we are agents of transformation. And if we're not being salt and we're not being light, who is? That's what it's got to be about this year. That's my prayer for New Hope. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. Guys, we as pastors... I've got to do better. And I don't just mean us. I mean pastors everywhere. This country is falling through our hands. Countries around the world are falling through the hands of the church. But Jesus has put this in our hands, our hands, all of us. And we got to do better. We can do it. I believe in you. Pray for each other. Love each other. Meet in each other's homes. Have meals together. Take that extra stuff that you don't need and give it to the person that does. Love on people, love on God, keep learning and understand that it is you that has to make disciples. And that's why I'm doing all this today, guys, because for the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about how we're gonna go about this. And it's all about making disciples that make disciples. Not just making disciples, making disciple makers. That's the goal. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast.